0: Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, filmmakers, conservationists, editors, writers, and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, what goes on in their minds, how they approach their work, and how they make it pay. The podcast also looks at the role that photography and filmmaking plays in helping to raise awareness about the global plight of species. And despite the depressing statistics, we look for solutions of what we can all do to contribute to conservation. All my guests give up their precious time and are incredibly generous of spirit. So this is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Okay so it's been a long time since my interview with Susie and well ever since then really I've had my head in Foxbook world really for the past six months and more and we are just coming out of the other side of that we're going to launch our book at the Natural History Museum on the 25th of April which we're all super excited about and if you would like you could be part of this event you can watch the live stream. Yes, we're going to be live streamed on the Natural History Museum's YouTube channel. And to get access, you can make a small donation to the museum's Urban Nature Project. Um, That's the hook. We're teaming up with this ambitious project that the museum have embarked on. Uh, It's already begun. They're transforming the grounds around the museum. Lots of outreach work and partnerships with other museums around the country getting people to engage with nature on their doorsteps which has very much been part of my mission over the past 10 years and you can find out more by visiting nhm.ac.uk and search for the Urban Nature Project. I'm pleased to say I'm back today with my fabulous guest Kathy Moran who recently retired from National Geographic as the Deputy Director of Photography and an incredible 40-year career editing over 350 stories for the magazine. We talk about the early days at Nat Geo, her career breaks, the role of a photo editor and the change in style of photo storytelling. And we also discuss life after the magazine with her new venture, Moran Griffin, her husband, David. You can find out more about this by heading over to the podcast page on my website and visit Kathy's page for links to this and much more. Without further ado, here's Kathy. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time after uh, a a daylight savings error a week ago, <laughs> which was my fault. Um, we're we're doing this again. You're on the East Coast, right? Where, whereabouts do you live?
1: Yes, we're right outside of Washington DC, so uh, just across the river in
0: Arlington, Virginia. And you've been there. Have, have you been there for as long as you've worked for National Geographic?
1: Uh, I've been in Arlington for 22 years. Uh, David and I got married and I, uh, he said it must be love because I left the city to come to the suburbs.
0: <laughs> wow, and I say worked at National Geographic because you've recently retired and that's, yeah, quite a, quite a big deal. How, how, how are you feeling? How are you coping in the weeks that have passed since?
1: Um, you know, it was it was a huge decision. I was with the, the geographic for 40 years, and really 40 and a half when I left at the end of December. So, um, you know, it was it was an amazing uh, <laughs> I hate to think of it this way. It was an amazing four decades. And, um, but the last few weeks, you know, I've, I've been surprisingly busy. I, I was um, a participant in the exposure photo festival in uh, Sharjah, the UAE. Uh, and David and I uh, have started doing work together. We have a few books that he's designing on photo editing. So it's been surprisingly busy uh, these, these last few weeks.
0: I hear that a lot about people that retire. And then also, you know, I was thinking about how differently, different people react to retiring, you know, especially when you've been in business for such a long time, like, you know, my own mom, for example, she was a, a teacher at the same school for 25 years and she worked her way up to becoming the head teacher. And she was the head teacher for eight years. And when she retired, she kind of struggled with it because her identity was, you know, the head teacher, like you're always in demand, always people needing things from you. And then to suddenly go from that to actually quite, you know, in the first few weeks, not being so in demand, I think, you know, some people jump straight into it and just get stuck into things and other people, find time to find a new identity but i guess like you say you've been really busy perhaps you haven't had time to discover what that is yet
1: you know it's um the last few years at the at the national geographic i was actually um the deputy director uh of photography and so i I had stepped away from from photo editing stories and it was more uh, management and and working with my colleagues on, on their projects so i think the thing that that was really nice was to, to find myself back on the editing side. And, um, that's really been enjoyable because there's just, you know, there's, there's nothing like working with a photographer and, and, and digging into it and, and seeing that, that narrative come together. But I think the the big surprise for me, especially after, you know, the last few years of, of working remotely, Zoom was such a, um, I mean, it's, it's been a godsend, but it's also it's a time suck. And, you know, it wasn't unusual for, for all of us to be solidly at our desk for, for 10 hours a day, just zooming nonstop. And there were the, t- the sense of sort of, I think, time constraint in nine to five went away because it was so easy to just stay connected. And what's been the nice surprise um, these last few weeks is, is realizing that, you know, oh, it's, you know, an hour or so in the middle of the day and I am I find myself reading a book or taking a walk or, you know, the first few times I, I felt guilty. It was like playing hooky. But, you know, it's it's an interesting concept after all of these years of working in an office to, um, I, I think, have that sense of, of control over your own schedule again. I, I haven't had it in, in such a long time. That, uh, I think that's been the thing that's been most interesting to, um, to come to terms with That Oh yeah, I, I can control how the day goes. So that that's actually been, that's been fun.
0: Yeah. Your muscle memory is telling you, you should be working really hard doing those 10 hour days, but actually, yeah, you've, you do have that little bit more time to do it now. And actually I didn't realize it was, I knew it was over 30 years. I didn't realize it was over 40 years you were there so can you go back for us right to the beginning and 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 tell us how you got started there and did you have an interest in photography before you worked there was that your first job at National Geographic looking at photos oh this
1: is like you know going into the middle ages (laughs) (laughs)
0: back
1: to the beginning of time um I when I went to school um I, I went for journalism with the idea that uh you know, I, I would I would write. You know, I get a job with newspapers, whatever. You know, course that that might take. And when I when I first graduated, um, you know, I was actually quite shy. And I, I don't know what made me think I was, you know, going to be this hard charging reporter. And um, I my so my first job I I, I taught uh, high school uh, history, and and really loved it, but they were just you know temporary jobs. You know, but someone would be on maternity leave or sick leave or whatever, and I would go in for these sort of long term um, commitments to different schools. And I was also um, on on weekends, basically an assistant to a, a photographer working for the local newspaper. And he got his first assignment at um, National Geographic uh, while I was assisting him. And and so you know off he went. And when he came back, he said, um, you know, I understand that they're 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 hiring and, you know, happy to happy to put in a good word for you. And I thought, well, why not? I've got nothing to lose. And and one of the things that appealed to me about the the geographic was I knew that they had a really robust research staff who did, you know, just. I mean you couldn't put uh, uh, so much as a vowel in the magazine with a, someone you know just researching it to to you know up one side and down the other and i thought that that sounded like something i would really enjoy so um, i i i reached out got an interview i went down and uh it actually it, it turned out that they weren't hiring they were in the midst of a hiring freeze but you know oh. they they'd very very you know kindly you know went through the process of the interview and and when it was all over I just looked at the at the uh, recruiter and said well if I learn how to type would you hire me <laughs> <laughs> and he said he was just great he started laughing and he said if you learn how to type I will give you a job so I immediately signed up for this you know accelerated typing and shorthand course and I was. I was walking through the doors three months later Uh, as you know at that time I mean this is you know again we're talking years and years ago they had an internal um, secretarial service was what they called it and if if someone's assistant was on vacation or sick leave or whatever you would go fill in and it turned out to be the perfect way into an organization because you floated throughout the entire society. And, you know, I went in thinking, well, uh, you know, I, I, I want to work in the research department. But but by the time I landed, you know, in, in um, the photo editing department, you know, it, it took like a nanosecond to go, oh, are you kidding? This is what this place is all about. It's the photography. And um, so it was it was a fantastic uh you know, introduction to the organization. And, you know, it changed my direction in a matter of weeks because I, I really, I just, I fell in love with the photo editors and the photographers and, and that side of, of the storytelling. So, yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I was I was very lucky at, at the organization and that, you know, most of those sort of entry level jobs you know they had about a two-year lifespan and, and it, you would have really picked up everything you needed to know in that amount of time and then you know it was either something you you were happy to do or it was time to move on and, and every time i felt that um i've taken this as far as i can go i i need to look elsewhere something would open up inside and and i and so i you know i had a number of 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 jobs within the organization before i i finally uh, you know landed uh on the magazine as a photo editor but it i just felt so lucky that i never had to leave that the opportunity kept presenting within um the society so that i i could keep growing um and and challenging myself
0: yeah that's a that's amazing if you talk about learning throughout this two-year period what you needed to, to to learn for that part of the job obviously it says something about the society that you stayed there for 40 years you, you know i guess it kept being refreshed and of course over the years you know you build all these great relationships i'm sure not just with 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 colleagues but all the photographers that you work with um i mean that sounds you know like a such a great journey to to go on and and you know i i was curious about the, your answer to that question because you know i think Often we perhaps might look at other photographers or people at National Geographic senior editors and think, oh, you know, they had this dream of sitting out there in the wilderness thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to work for National Geographic one day. But actually it was something really boring, like learning how to type (laughs) (laughs) to get you in there
1: (laughs) I will say I will say this you know I never regretted learning learning to type I mean it it's it's a great skill but the thing that I I still carry with me and use constantly is that shorthand (laughs) I mean the thing that you never would would imagine you'd have to learn or that you would use and I still I still do everything all of my notes are in shorthand and and sometimes I forget, you know, someone else may need to, to see them and they're just absolutely indecipherable.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, that's, you know, it's going to be one of my questions later was like, you know, what <laughs> what does it take to become a, a, a journalist, a photographer or an editor working at National Geographic? And yeah, learn, learn to type. I mean, maybe those skills are not <laughs> so required now. Was National Geographic set up for that kind of growth? I mean, what were the systems that were in place where you learnt the typical working day of a photo editor. Was there training that you that you did when you were younger at the society, or were you did it happen organically?
1: For me it was a very organic process. And I the, the two photo editors that that I worked for, um Declan Hahn and John Schneeberger, were incredible mentors and and great friends. Uh, so they, you know, I was always very welcome you know to sit in and and watch the process when they were working with photographers and you know had stories and layout or you know whatever phase of of production any of their their projects were in so that was huge but um you know it, so much of it really was just gaining experience and, and moving moving through the organization when when i you know i was the, their coordinator for about 18 months you know and then moved into a job called film review and you know back then everything was was film and so the photographers would be in the field for you know weeks and weeks and weeks at a time and they were shipping the film back to Washington for processing so months could go by between the time they actually made an image before they ever saw the the, the photograph. I mean, we we'd seen it all, but they hadn't seen anything. And so what would happen in film review was this, um, you know, recording of of everything as it came in, getting it ready to ship out to Kodak for processing because, you know, they were the only ones who could do it, then bringing it back in and getting everything organized for the photo editors. But in the process giving a report to the photographers in the field this is working that's not working ooh that that <laughs> film got x-rayed or you know whatever it whatever it might be um, to sort of keep them going both both technically and um, I'd even say emotionally because you know you they, they were just working in the dark uh, back then they, they didn't you know we didn't even have color Xerox machines at that point there was there was very little that you could do, um, you know, other than say to them, this is looking good, you know, mm, that didn't work, try this again, blah, 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 blah. So we were sort of that 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 first line of communication with the photographer in the field, because again, depending on how busy the editor was, it, it might take them, you know, a few more weeks before they got through a shipment. So I think that for me was really when, um, you know, editing skills uh, uh, were, were developed, and, and that was working much more closely with the photographers than than with, um, you know, the photo editors. But then I think, you know, the thing that really made everything possible for me was that in, in 18, or 1888, I was not there in 1888. <laughs> in 1988, when the society had their centennial, up until that point, they'd never had their own uh, communications department and they, they realized that this was going to be a big deal that, for the organization to be turning 100. So they put together the, the communications team and they needed a photo editor. So that was my first like photo editor title. I, I joined that team. And did that for uh, two years. And that was trial by fire because, in essence, it was three divisions that that came together into one. And so I was I was responsible for, for being the photo editor for these three very, very different teams. And um and and in close communication with the magazine at all times, because you know, in essence, the centennial was a celebration of the magazine itself. You know, and uh,
0: and so this, this job you had was this like photo editing across the board or this wasn't at this time specialist natural History work oh no,
1: no this was just anything and everything every request that they came in from other media companies wanting to do stories on uh, them on the on the, uh, the centennial it was there was an internal news service that was you know they were providing um, stories uh, for syndication worldwide they all had to have um, you know images. There were internal newsletters um, that were being created on a on a monthly basis. All those stories had to, you know, have f- photos made and edited and, you know, put into production. So it was really um, we were sort of a clearinghouse for everything that was was happening uh, during that centennial year and and of course it continued beyond obviously. But that that was really that was an intense year, and I think even though the photo editors knew me uh, through, through the work in Film Review, uh, being able to work that much more closely with them through the centennial year. Um, you know, I learned uh, from them, you know, they were aware of, of what I was doing and how I was growing. So when the magazine started what, what we call the front matter. But when you flip through the magazine now, you know, they're all those sort of wonderful, very eclectic, small stories in, in the front of the magazine before you, you hit the feature well. Well, that was really new, like in 89, 90. And again, they realized that, you know, it was a full time job and they needed, they needed a photo editor who was dedicated to just uh, working on, on those stories. So I was like, oh, pick me, pick me,
0: <laughs>
1: and, and, and they did, so, um, you know, I was really, again, once again, very lucky at that moment where I thought, um, I, you know, I, I've, I've done the comms work, as, uh, this is as much as I want of, of that, that kind of editing, and, and I really wanted to get back into something that felt fully editorial, and so I was able to rejoin the magazine, and um, what, I, what I realized at that time, um, there was an amazing woman named Mary Smith, and she was a photo editor, but she was the liaison between the magazine and what was called the Committee for Research and Exploration. And that committee, they were the, the scientists who would come together um, several times a year and review all of the the grant proposals. In essence, they were the, you know, the the team who approved funding for Jane Goodall and the Leakeys and, you know, Diane Fossey and, you know, Jacques Cousteau and all those, you know, amazing um, explorers who were at that point synonymous with with the geographic. And Mary was, she was the, the person who worked with all of them. The and and um, and Mary was retiring, and and Mary was she was such a force that when when she was leaving, she didn't just like go to the head of the department and and say, well, here are the stories that are still, you know, in in production. Mary went around and gave away her stories to you know the editor that she felt would be would be best suited to to bring it over the finish line, and. Um, Mary came to me at um, just this moment when Nick Nichols and Mike Fay were finishing up their very first story together uh, on the Adoki, Um National Park, and and Mary said, "I want you to do this." I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it." She, you know, she threw a few other, you know, little ones at me, but this was at at that. Moment in the magazine's history. This was one of the most um, time and budget intensive stories they'd ever done. Just just by the nature of of working in the Congo, and um, you know, I'll never forget Nick Nichols <laughs> when, he, when he came back to the office, and he and he realized you know that, that Mary had given me this story, you know, and he and he he walked into my office, and he was like, oh, "Damn, you're just a baby." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, how's, how's this gonna work? And I said, well, <laughs> trust me, it's gonna work. And and that was that was the first story that Nick and I did together. And um and that was my first, you know, really big, big thing with the magazine. And and you know, I've, I've always felt that it was such an act of faith and, and generosity on on Mary's part to to trust me. Um uh with, with that's that awesome story. and this
0: was this was the sorry this was the story that, re, that that resulted in you know quite significant change in the congo right in terms of national parks were, no were that the, the entire, oh, that was the was that the gabon that
1: was the mega transect yes Yeah. So, nick, so this
0: was what what year are we talking with this, this with, with, been, with the Michael?
1: this would have been sort of early 90s and it yeah. it was nick and mike's first first story together and you know they both it, it was just an intense um, challenge for, for for the photography, for the text, you know, and I think it was it was Mike Fay's first experience with, you know, the kind of intensity that a National Geographic team brings into the field. So I think, you know, they all walked away from that story and swore they've never talked to each other or ever worked together again.
0: <laughs> and
1: um, then years later, Nick and Mike were um, – at a conference together, and as, as literally, you know, Nick's cab pulled up to the hotel, and Mike had been waiting, and he just, you know, came running down the steps as Nick is getting out of the cab, and he's like, "I have got a story. I have an idea. You have to do this project with me." And and that was the mega transect, um, which took, you know, years of planning actually to to bring to fruition. And then of course, you know, I think Mike was in the field. It was something like 444 days, you know. He never he wow. never left the field. Um, the writer David Quammen and of course Nick, you know, came and went throughout the course of, of the mega transect. But Mike Mike never stopped walking, yep. starting in um, Congo and then uh, into Gabon to the coast. And of course, we ran three stories, um, well along the way and they ultimately when when Mike met with uh, then President Omar um, Bongo of Gabon he was in New York for the opening of, of the United Nations uh, Mike had a meeting with him in a New York hotel room and he showed him Nick's photos and and President Bongo said I, I never knew this was in my own country this 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 beauty yeah. this wildlife and he went back and um, you know mandated
0: the creation of of the national park system, yeah, that's incredible and really does you know show the the power of photography you know i i've I've watched a few interviews with you kathy, and i I laughed at one of them when you said, you know your job is boring yeah. it's the it's the photographers that are out there that have the exciting job, but you have you know had this amazing kind of privileged position of being able to see all this content really before anyone does, and of course it's a joy but I can imagine a stress and a challenge to select you know from thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of images a handful that are going to tell the story in in the best way and I'm sure you approach each story differently but maybe talk a little bit about that that process and the mindset that you have to get into when it comes to photo editing you know particularly a big story like that.
1: Well, you know, at that point, Nick and I had done um, at least a half dozen other stories together. And so we, we had a pretty good sense of, of, of how to work together. And, you know, I've, I've always felt that, I mean, for me, editing is a very personal process. And, and I, you know, I try, I actually, I, I try to think about who the photographer is and what their approach to work is. And um, when I'm editing, sometimes, you know, especially with Nick, it was like, it was like, I was, it was like a, I was creating, setting the stage for that conversation that we would have when he was back um, from, from the field and we would actually be editing together because, you know, it, it, sometimes it's not just about pooling the best frame. For me, often it's about pulling a frame to say, I know what you were thinking. I know what you were trying to do here. It, it might not have worked. But we're going to talk about this later, because because it, it clearly this situation, this moment mattered to you. And, um, and I'm not just going to blow past it because it didn't work out. You know, we'll, we will talk about what what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, so for for me, it's always been a very, um, very personal. And, and, you know, trying to, again, always take into account that everyone works differently. So you just can't apply, you know, a one size fits all approach to editing. So that, you know, that's, that's one thing I always really try very hard to keep in mind. Um, You know, and I, I think as an editor, one of one of the biggest challenges is that you're a member of a story team you know it's it's the photographer it's the writer it's the text editor you know when you're all coming together at various points and talking about the story and and, you know what you're finding along the way and how it's evolving because you know they all evolve it's one thing to say we're going to go do x y and z but you know when you get into the field things change all the time But how you stay true to being a member of that team and supporting the photographer and and what they want to be doing, but also remembering that you have a responsibility to the editor and to the readers and that there will always come a point when you're putting that story together where you have to stop and, and, and you have to step back and say what's best for the story, what's best for the editor, what's best for the, ultimately, the editor is your client. You know, it, it's at the end of the day, it's not about making us happy, it's about making the editor happy and the reader happy. So, you know, there are always those, those moments um, where the photographer's favorite images might not make it. And 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 they might not make it simply because they don't serve the story, you know. So you're yeah. you're always like trying to like, you know, support the photographer, support the story, ensure that the narrative is coming together, but always bearing in mind that you're you're sort of a Jekyll and Hyde when it when it comes to that that loyalty, and and um, you know, ultimately making sure that what winds up on the pages is what really serves. The story
0: and, and the audience. Kathy, we have limited time. We already talked a bit about the big change in 88 with the approach to photo storytelling at the magazine. And I was curious to learn whether there was a bigger change in your 40 year career at the magazine. You know, we've talked about all the issues of sending over hundreds of rolls of film and photographers not seeing their work or getting feedback on their work for weeks and weeks. So do you think the digital revolution was the biggest change during your 40 year career at the magazine?
1: Well, I mean, I think one thing when, certainly in the early days of digital, I think a lot of photo editors thought, well, does this make us obsolete? You know, photographer can see what they're doing in that moment you know and and what's what's the role here but what i really felt happened was that it it created a, a much more collaborative dynamic because you could actually be communicating with each other in that moment and and in real time be saying to someone oh perfect move on you've got it you know don't 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 spend any more time on this, we have it, move on to that. Or oh that's not working, is it? And and then problem solve together. So it 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 actually I think changed the relationship in, in a really positive way uh, in most situations. But you know I think you know changes along the way, you know, certainly as you know as the magazine evolved, um, you know, I think different approaches to storytelling uh, across the board came together. You know, I think it's fair to say, you know, and, you know, the 70s, even into the 80s, um, there was sort of a blanket approach to the storytelling, oh, let's, you know, let's go do, you know, Texas, you <laughs> know, someone would go and they photograph Texas, you know now it would be well, what about texas you know what what about you know what about london what about you know any particular topic why why are we doing this and and, and so i think that you know over the last um, you know certainly 20 years that the storytelling has become um, much more uh, it's more fine tuned and um, you know and i and i think it's it's more um I think it's just more interesting in both in terms of the writing and, and the photography, because it it's, it's just, um, it's streamlined. We're actually, we're actually telling a story. This, this is what you should know about something. This is, you know, what we're revealing. It's not just Texas. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just think that we're doing much more interesting storytelling now. Um, yeah, certainly when it comes to, to the natural history, um, You know again when i started it would be well go do lions go do elephants go do well what about them you know other than you know the 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 life cycle um you know okay you've got you know you've got cubs you've got predation you've got pride behavior what else and and that's not to say that there weren't amazing photographs that that were being made but again what did the story add up to and, you know, we made when when Chris Johns became editor of the magazine, we we made a very conscious decision to really step back and look at the, the natural history stories that we were telling and and. You know, realizing that we had to put all of this into context, um, you know, again, I, I always come back to, to, to Nick because we did so much work together, but. When Nick and I proposed the Serenity Lion, we were very clear in our intent in that we could not just focus on the lions, that we were going to have to also take a look at what does it mean to to live with a predator? You know, what's, what's happening in terms of, um, you know, habitat encroachment or, you know, or if you're a community and you've got, you know, you've had lions predating on your livestock? What are the solutions? You know, all of, all of those other things that, that, that give the full picture, you know, that lions are not living in a vacuum, you know, lions, yeah. lions are living surrounded by, by, by humans, the, the very people who have to coexist with a predator. And, you know, that approach to um, storytelling, natural history uh, stories uh, was, was really New for the magazine, and and I think it 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 was it was a fundamental change. It was a change that we had to make, and 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 Chris really embraced it and, and believed in it.
0: Yeah, it's, so it sounded like it was a, a a conscious decision because you know that's something that, uh, you know, I've lived through that time of photography bec- being kind of an elite subject with those with the biggest budgets and all the roles of film. To now, everyone's a nature photographer, but that's a great thing. People are out there engaging with nature with their cameras. So telling stories about conservation and what you can do with your images rather than just showing like another beautiful picture of a pride of lions or whatever. I'm not, not knocking it, but it seems like, and for good reason, that's the direction that that it's taken and been going for for, for a long time. And I think one of the questions for me was national geographic with the reach. Um, and, you know, certainly with the power from, from the early nineties with the mega transect and, you know, a government setting up national parks as a result of the stories is is pretty impactful. And if you look at since that time, biodiversity crisis is got worse. We're losing, you know, things always at an alarming rate. The, I guess in a way the responsibility that the magazine has of trying to preserve and, and, and protect. And how does, how do you reconcile that over all these years? It's like the technology's improving, the writing's improving, the reach now with social media is improving, but biodiversity, habitat loss, climate change, all of these sort of negativities surrounding it. How does the the magazine reconcile that?
1: Well, you know, all, I think all that the magazine can do is is continue um, to produce the, the kinds of stories that people need to be aware of. Uh, I do think, you know, my um, you know my my former colleague Whitney Johnson, who's the director of photography, you know, we we used to laugh um, about the the unintended silver consequence of of COVID was that um, it. It, it gave us the opportunity, it made us look actually um, to work with local photographers. And I, I think that that change um, in, in working with people um, in, in, in country might also be a way in which um, we, we, there's greater outreach because now it's someone who, who lives in, in Kenya, or, you know, India, or, you know, wherever the story might take place. It's not someone who's, who's going and doing the story and then leaving. Now, you know, you have someone who lives there, who's, who's, who's done the story, who's made the photographs, and who maybe in, in an odd way has an even greater potential for, for outreach at a local level, so that it's not it's not just necessarily reaching this particular audience, maybe, maybe now a much broader audience is, is is engaging with the work. So, you know, that, that would be one hope. But and I also think that, you know, the magazine, it, it's not just about what comes out every month, you know, it, it's about sure what that team is producing, you know, on, on a daily basis, you know, on, on the digital platform, which also, you know, has, has enormous reach. And um, so you, you just really, I don't think it's about changing the stories that we're doing. It's about, you know, doing whatever um, you can to, to reach more and more people um yeah that that, that's that's the that's the challenge it's it's getting the story out there doing the story is that's happening
0: yeah sure it's frightening isn't it when you think about um the the reach is huge but as you're saying it's not big enough you know you have to reach so many more people to inspire and inform and and hopefully enact positive change um so yeah you're right it's you have to continue
1: yeah it's inspire Matt I mean I think that's really in, in and in and inspire because um and it is about you've got to find the balance I mean you, you don't want people to think that it's it's hopeless Other, otherwise otherwise uh, you've accomplished nothing people are just gonna turn away but if you can find that balance um and and get people engaged with you know making necessary changes in their own lives or you know engaging with with government to make changes that should happen I mean that's you know that's when you see you know really powerful photography at work
0: yeah and 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 very satisfying results um I'm gonna have to ask you this because you know a lot of my audience will be wondering you know what it takes to become a photographer whether you're published once or in you know many of the photographers that you've worked with multiple times you know what would you say that um you know makes makes the difference um between you know becoming a a photographer that will work with national geographic and one that doesn't
1: oh wow (laughs) the magic serum Um, you know i i think it's i think it's two things you know first of all we all have a camera in our hands these days with our phones, you know, and um, you know, there are a lot of people out there who can make, you know, really engaging one-off images. But, you know, I think that there's a difference between photographing and, and seeing. And um, I, I think, you know, there are photographers who just have a very distinctive approach to how they, how they photograph, how they see, Um, that that makes that work stand out. And I think, although, you know, look, I I do believe that you can tell a a powerful story in a single image at the geographic, what really matters is being able to create, you know, what we call visual narrative. And, And how do you understanding how you build that that visual narrative so that you you can sustain, you know, across you know, multiple pages. And, and that, um, you know, I think, learning narrative, whether it's in a single frame or, or sustained, is, is something that it, you have to learn, it, it takes time. Uh, and it takes, you know, I think, I always say to photographers, don't, it, it, first of all, you're not a wildlife photographer, you are a photographer. If, if, if you are telling stories, you ought to be able to tell a story wherever you are. And the way that you get good at it is going out and photographing every single day. You know, you don't wait for that once a year uh, trip that you've saved up for to go back to Africa. You, you've got to find it, you know, I mean, which is why I love your work so much, you know, you're out every day, Doing a really great story on on urban foxes, and um, and they're there, and you can go out and you can grow as a photographer and a storyteller every single day. And I think that's the thing that that you know, anyone starting out really needs to think about. You you have to you have to grow. You you know you have to get better as you would with any any profession. And so that means you've got to have that camera with you all the time. You've got to be photographing, you have to be seeing, you have to be thinking, and you have to find those stories that are close to home and challenge yourself with them. You know, it, you know, look, a squirrel. Telling, telling, putting together a narrative on, on a squirrel is just as challenging as putting together a narrative on a giraffe. Um, but in doing that, you're going to be a better photographer when the opportunity presents, you know, to go be on safari or, or do whatever it is, you, you know,
0: the story you want to tell. Yeah, yeah, that's really the the narrative. And I think, you like you said, the pandemic put that into sharp focus of sticking with subjects close to home. Kathy, I know you've got a dash. I want to ask you one more quick question and just an opportunity as well for you to tell us a little bit about the the, the project you set up with your husband david and you know people might be interested in in hearing about that and learning a bit more we can also put links and everything else in 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 the in the notes on your page oh, so um yeah let us know a bit a bit about other than having time to read books which i think you probably earned over 40 years you are also straight into a new business you have a nice website um, tell us a little bit about it
1: well um David and I are are, are sort of the National Geographic cliche. Two people who you know <laughs> met there and you know fell in love and got married. David was a, a designer. Um, uh, I mean, he had uh, a, a long career at the Geographic as well. He was a, a designer for the magazine and then the book division, and then uh, came back as the director of photography uh, at one point. But the last few years, he's had his own. Um, design business and primarily doing, doing books. And, you know, we always loved working together, you know, but once he left the geographic, you know, we just didn't have the opportunity. And so uh, when, when I retired, we, um, you know, to, to our delight, we had um, a, a few people reach out and ask us to Take on um, projects with them. David designing, me editing uh, book projects. So that's that's been a lot of fun. That's and and you know again sort of getting back into the rhythm of, of working together has has been has been terrific. And um, you know also it, it's as I said you yeah, I'm sort of surprised um, there's you know people reach out. They asked for portfolio reviews. They, you know, they want feedback on this, or could you give me a quick, um, you know, opinion on, on an edit. And, you know, I'm, I, I actually love that because in so many ways, you know, look, I've had an amazing career, but my career was made possible through the incredible work of all the photographers that I was lucky enough to work with. And, you know, now you know if someone calls me and says, "Would you look something over?" I sort of feel like, "Yeah, it's time. It's time to give back. You guys gave it all to me, and you know I'm more than happy to give it back to you." So, it's it's nice to be able to, um, you know, spend time with 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 you know former colleagues and and do things with them, and and also you know with groups like the, you know, International League of Conservation Photographers, and, you know, they, you know, they, they ask, you know, for help doing reviews and things, and, and I, I just love that, you know, I love, I love actually having the time to, you know, be able to say to someone, yeah, I've, I've got an hour free on Saturday morning, Let's let's look at that portfolio before you submit it to the New York Times, or let's, um, so that that's been great but the process of working with with David again you know it's sort of in it's back to roots you know when he was a designer and I was a photo editor and we were doing stories together now we're you know we've just super super sized and we're doing books so
0: <laughs> that's great that's great but yeah I guess be careful because you know people will you know you find your email address you'll be inundated or can Can you do my portfolio review i've got this book idea so it'll be like right back being back at the national geographic inundated with with emails
1: well those are great emails you know you know editing (laughs) editing is just it's it's a joy it's a joy that that was always the best part of the job
0: sounds like a great place to end it kathy and thank you so so much for your time really lovely to speak to you and i'm sure the listeners are going to get a, a great deal of um insight and hear you know behind the scenes and what's what's going on and also your journey and congratulations as well that's no mean feat spending 40 years there and yeah i hope you continue to give yourself some time off oh, thank and, you and, and as well.
1: congratulations to to you and, and neil and andy on on the book i can't i can't wait to see it
0: that's very exciting. Yeah, we've just got the Folded and Gathered Sheets back this week. So, um, yeah, it, you know, you, you get these books back in stages. You see them on press, and now uh, the next time I see it, will be bound up, and, um, yeah, we can't wait to get that going. And, yeah, well, thank you for contributing as well, and you should have your 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 copy in May.
1: Well, every time I see a fox go through the yard, I think of you guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, thanks
0: Good for stuff. talking to you. Yeah, lovely talking to you. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much, Kathy. Wow, 40 years. It took a while for me to get Kathy on the podcast. And in fact, I think this podcast would only have happened once Kathy had retired. But I really appreciate her generosity and openness to share all those great stories. Again, if you'd like to find out more about Kathy's new venture with her husband, David Moran Griffin, you can visit that morangriffin.com or... Just head over to Kathy's page on my site and there'll be some direct links there. Now we just have two weeks left before our book goes on general sale. You can save a few pounds by pre-ordering at foxbook.shop and that price will go up on the 3rd of May when the book comes out. Sad to say everything's going up, uh, we had to up the price of our book as a result but it's still good value for money at £35. I've had it in my hands for a couple of weeks now, and it feels you know—it feels like a £35 book, if I don't say so myself. So thanks again to everyone who backed our Kickstarter campaign. What a journey it's been. We're so close, and we cannot wait to get the book out there. Hope you enjoyed that. Won't be too long before my next guest, who's already booked in next month, and we will get these rolling now, hopefully a little bit more regularly.